I hope that um, I hope that for your sakes you uh, are already excited about this Lenten season. Forty days. We're actually got thirty-six more days. Uh, we will go through a full moon in about a week and a half, and then the next full moon will actually be the Jewish Passover because Jews keep lunar calendar as opposed to uh, Roman calendars like we keep. But just gearing up for that, um, I told Jeff on Thursday night we had our had a book club meeting and I apologized for him <clears throat> not getting to do what I get to do the next two weeks because truly this next two weeks are the pinnacles of Second Samuel. Um, we get to so we get to talk about two phrases, and next week I may just totally abandon the text and just talk about the phrase "House of David." That's next week. But today the phrase is um, "a king like David, son of David." How many times "son of David" is in the New Testament? And people would come up to Jesus and say. You're the son of David. You're in the triumphal entry. Hosanna to the son of David. How did they know that? How did they know that? How, how did they... It's because son of David is totally messianic and anyone who claimed to be Messiah, Mashiach, they would uh, honor him in such a way as calling him son of David. And there were many Mashiachs prior to Jesus. Uh, they did not pan out and do what they were supposed to do. Jesus is the only true Mashiach, and that's uh, that's who we worship. So let's start today by getting just a little bit more from it. Jeff. I've already had my disclaimer to you before you got here. Um, let, let's just start a, a few things. Uh, I want to go through some slides quickly. I have way too many slides for this forty-minute uh, period which I'm allotted. So just bear with me. And let's try to understand some stuff today if we can. Uh, yeah, that thing works. Okay, so here is Jabesh Gilead. Somebody tell me what happened to Jabesh Gilead and why that's uh, why that's part of this story. I'll give you a hint. It was King Saul. That's where they hung his body. No, no, they hung his body. They hung his body over here. Betty. He rescued Jabez. Yeah, the Nabosh or something like that was going to go and gouge all their eyes out. Here's what you need to understand about this whole thing. That today, from that lake doesn't exist anymore, but from today, the Sea of Galilee, all the way down, this is Israel today. I take it back, it goes all the way down here. This is Israel today, and it ends at the Sea of Galilee. You see that traditionally when people will talk about Israel, they'll say it's from Dan to Beersheba. That's, that's the two posts. Dan to Beersheba. Now watch. Uh, so, just let me just say this before. So, the Ark of the Covenant set at Shiloh for 400 years. Okay? Now, where's the Ark of the Covenant now that Saul started playing around with it and the Philistines captured? It's at the house. It's at somebody's house who lives at a, lives up on a hill. In his garage. Yeah, it's kind of in his garage. <laughs> nobody, nobody goes to see it. But it's in his house. Okay? So, um, 
Um, Saul lived at Gilgal. Here's Jerusalem. Here's Bethlehem. Here's Hebron. Um, if I were to ask you, this is a very smart crowd. If I were to ask you, what are the three most important places on earth to Islam? What would they be? Mecca. Mecca, Jerusalem. Mecca Medina, and Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, because of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is built over the rock, the Dome of the Rock, where the temple was. And if you ever go to Israel with me, I'll tell you what I, how I really feel about that. Um, I'm not so sure that's so holy to them as it is they're keeping Israel from claiming that as a holy place. What are the three most um, sacred places in Christendom? The Temple Mount, that's where the temple was. Bethlehem, which is where Jesus was born. I, I take that back. I'm, I'm, it's not the Temple Mount, it's, it, but it is in Jerusalem. It's two churches. It's the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, and it's the Church, church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem is where Golgotha exists, under that church and where uh, the garden tomb exists under that church. And do I, you know, you can go online. I stopped taking biblical archaeological review because I, I found out later it's just another propaganda piece. Um, you know, those people that, please come on in, just move somebody, tell them to move. But... Oh, really? I've met y'all before. Well, I'm glad Dr. White's not here so I won't be intimidated. <laughs> um, there's a reason people built churches over things. I've belittled that for a long time. Uh, but Constantine's mom, when he sent her, when he converted all of Rome, Rome, Roman Catholicism, uh, when he converted Rome to Christianity, um, he sent his mom to Jerusalem and he said, go buy every site that you can buy. And you'll know, because this it's 300, that only happened a couple hundred years ago. The people will still venerate where those sites are. And that's how we got the Church of the Holy Spirit, uh, Church of the Nativity. The three holiest sites to Jews. What are they? The Temple Mount. That's a given. Okay. Mount Sinai? No. Mainly because it's not in Israel. It's where Dome of the Rock is. Well, the Dome of the Rock is the temple. Dome of the Rock is the temple. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, both of the other sites are right here in Hebron. I've never understood why David chose... He was anointed at Samuel anointed him at Hebron, and he was king at Hebron for seven and a half. Why Hebron? Can anybody speculate? Oh, that is Doctor White right there. Uh, can anybody speculate why Hebron? Something to do with Abraham. It's got everything to do with Abraham. 
If you, and, and it's got everything to do with God's promise to Abraham. So God promised Abraham in Genesis 12 while he was still in the earth of the Chaldees. Out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. From you, all nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And then you skip down. And Abraham goes, and it doesn't say Hebron. He says he camped in the, at the Oaks of Mamre. Oaks of Mamre. Why did he not camp at Hebron? Because he was too rich. He had too many cows. He couldn't keep them in the city. So he was a mile outside of the city. And he stayed at the Oaks of Mamre. And you know how we know that? It's because it's venerated. Now let me take you on another little journey. Herod the Great. Was he a Jew? No. Idumean. Huh? Idumean. Idumean. He was an Idumean. So, how does that work? Jacob, his twin brother is Jacob. Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the father of Israel. The twelve tribes. Okay? Esau is not even considered to be Jewish. Why? Yeah, but what did Esau do? And by the way, my favorite biblical character means red and hairy. I love it. Uh, what did he do? He renounced his birthright. He renounced his Judaism. And as a result, he moved down here to Edom, which also means red. He went to the red place. And he was the father of the Edomites. Not even considered Jewish. Um, so when the, when, the Jew, when the Romans decided, we're going to put a king over this little vassal city of Israel, this vassal state of Israel, who can we get that they'll hate? Let's get an Edomian. And so they put Herod the Great in charge of the Edomian. So the very first thing that Herod does when he gets in is he said, I'll tell you what, pick out your three most holy sites and I'm going to venerate them. And so number one was the Temple Mount. Number one was the Temple Mount. And how did Herod the Great venerate the Temple Mount? He, he rebuilt the temple, but here, here's what, let me show you. Here's what he, I guess I'll come back to those. Here's what he did. Take a look at this, at this rock. I'm sorry, I took a terrible two pictures. Only, only three pictures I could illustrate this. But this is a huge retaining wall rock. And it is Herodian. For all the people who have been in Israel, how do we know that this is Herodian? Because of that border right there. The slaves not only built perfectly square rocks, but he made them put a border on those rocks. I've got a better picture. Look at that. He made them put a border on that. So when today we talk about the holiest sites in Israel, we're talking about the Wailing Wall. When Herod the Great took over uh, Israel, when he took it over, um, the Temple Mount was only three and a half acres. He built it up to be 13 acres by taking these stones and building uh, and building retainer walls. Look at this one. You can see this is not the, the uh, Wailing Wall. But you can see, see the Herodian stones as they go up? And then when you get on top, you've got Crusader stones. 
if you go to Israel, you will quickly, when you go site to site, you'll quickly go, well, that's Herodian. Well, that's Byzantine. Well, that's, you know, it's great. Just learn, learn about rocks. Um, but he did three sites like this. He did the Temple Mount. He did the altar that Abraham built to God in Mamre. And he did the Cave of Machpelah, which is the very first... When I, when I first went to Israel, that's the only thing I wanted to see. You cannot see that because that's in deep Palestinian territory and uh, the Hamas is taking over that area. i got one right up here. <coughs> you bother me standing. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, all right. So then all the tribes of Israel came... Uh, uh, Jeff did this last week. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we're bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. For some time while Saul was king, it was you who led Israel out and brought them in. The Lord said to you three things here, okay? We're your flesh. We have believed in you for a long time because you fought our enemies for us. And it, that when Samuel anointed you, he said, it is you who shall be the shepherd of my people Israel, who shall be the ruler over us. Remember when, they had, when the first king, Saul, why were they clamoring for a king? They wanted a king to do what? I'm sorry? Fight their battles for them. That's what they wanted. And the first thing that Saul did down at Jabesh Gilead is he went and fought their battles for them. They thought, this is great. This is it. Now then, they are coming to David because this is what God wants. Cooler heads have prevailed and this is what God wants. So, David was 30 years old. Where did I get that? Where's that? 30 years old. I... This morning, sitting in my Jeep, I just read this. I love, you know, I just started doing this. Have I got my glasses somewhere? In your hands. Hand? Pocket. These uh, little, uh, I never have had one of these, but I got one of these and I've been keeping it and it's, it's fascinating. Joseph was 30 years old when he began to rule in Egypt. That's Genesis 41. The code of Jewish law is that you cannot be a cantor. You know what a cantor is? Worship minister. You cannot be a cantor until you're 30 years old. You cannot be a temple priest until you're 30 years old. That's Numbers 4.3. The Talmud says in Pikat Ara 5.6, well, only Lauren will know what that is. At the age of 30, one receives strength. Saul became king at 30. That's 1 Samuel 13. David became king at 30. 2 Samuel 5.4. Ezekiel was called as a prophet at the age of 30. Ezekiel 1.1. And then Jesus came on the scene at 30. 30 is a big deal. So it was a big deal that David is 30 years old. He's been anointed since... Jeff says a teenager. I, I might even go earlier than that. He was a young boy when he was anointed king over Israel. King in waiting. And the king and his men marched to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. 
the inhabitants of the land who said to David, you will not come in here. Even the blind and the lame will turn you back. Thinking, David can't get in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, which is now called the city of David. David said on that day, whoever would strike down the Jebusites, he's got to go up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind and those in the house. David occupied the stronghold and named it city of David. David built the city all around the Milo, that's just a balcony, and David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. So this is a rendering of the city of David. And you'll see the Temple Mount, the Milo, which is just, it's, it's a platform. Uh, David's palace, that, well, I'll show, let me show you another one here in just a second, but just let, let's keep going. The Central Valley, the Kidron Valley, which is where the Mount of Olives is over here, across the Kidron Valley. Uh, the Gihon Spring Tower. We found that. It's not a tower anymore, but it's, it's rubble. But we found it. Why have we found it? You can't hide water, sports fans. So we found the water. We found the tower. And look at this. It was a, it was a tower where they could come from the inside of the uh, city, walk down to the tower, and go down through some steps and draw water. Where's the water? The water's down in the bottom of the sea stream. The water's down in the bottom of this valley. Um, a rock-cut pool, gardens, fountain gate. This is, as it exists today, exactly the same thing. This right here is what I want you to notice. This is a parking lot. And the first, you know, this is all Muslim. This is all Arab. They own it. They know what they have. And they're not letting it go. Okay? And somebody came up with some huge sum of money and bought it. And they've started, oh, that's the Western one, right here, bought it. And they've started the Jivali parking lot. I don't know if they have to put that. The Jivali family gave it up, and so we're going to give them a plaque, but we're starting to dig. And they're starting to dig, and all of the things that have come out about David, all of the Beulah, they found little Beulah and, uh, that say uh, King Josiah, they've gone all the way back to First Temple Judaism. It's hard, hard to find anything First Temple. We have very little First Temple. But they found all this, and they're starting to excavate that, and that excavation is going to go on for a long time. Now, I can't see the Pool of Shalom on here. I think it's somewhere in here. I may be wrong. Is that right, Steve? Right there? Okay, the Pool of Shalom. If I were to show you a picture of the Pool of Shalom today, it's just a bunch of rocks, and there's no, not really any pool. Hezekiah's tunnel dumps water out into the Pool of Shalom. But we can't excavate it. They have just bought and are starting to excavate the three-acre pool of Shalom. People ask me all the time, why do you keep going back to Israel? It's because I see different things every time I go. Something new. Something changes. Um, the Hinnom, Hinnom Valley, is that's Gehenna. That's the garbage dump. The Kidron Valley... This is the Valley of the Kings that runs right up on the east side of the Temple Mount. It said this is the Mount of Olives. Mount Scopus is up here. Dell and I were watching The Chosen the other night in Episode 6 of The Chosen. Um, 
they go to a they go to the inside of a room and there's a guy with bread on the table, just like Josh had this morning. I couldn't help but think that's exactly what it looked like. And it's Ahimelech, the high priest, and David comes in and says, my men are starving. I've got to have this bread. That's, that happened right here on top of the knob. It's said by Josephus that you could stand on the Temple Mount, I mean stand on the Mount of Olives and look in. This gate right here is called the Beautiful Gate. And you could stand on the Mount of Olives in one particular place and look through the beautiful gate. If they had the doors of the temple open, you could see into the Holy Holy. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Okay, I've got to get off of that. Yes. How, what's the distance from where the temple was to say the very bottom tip of the rib? How, how, what is that? How far is that? Feet. Okay. Feet. thousand feet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thousand feet, and and that you know the Wailing Wall, why? Because the, those are Herodian stones. That's the closest place, the pre sixty seven war. Pre sixty seven war. You may know what the famous saying at the end of the sixty seven war was. It came on the radio. We have the Temple Mount. In the sixty seven war, Israel took the Temple Mount. Does Israel control the Temple Mount today? Yes, they, they, they kind of they do. They do, but they, they allow the Jordanians to put up a facade and act like they're in charge. What about the dome of the rock? Yeah, we don't hear about that. Yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, but they control that mosque, don't they? They do. The Jordanians and Israel allows them, but when they start killing Jews, the Israel snipers are, and the Israel snipers are there. Trust me. Yeah, we've been there the last three times. Um, Where's the southern steps at, right? Right there. Yeah, all that Yeah. The southern steps are there. Right here. That's Robinson's Arch. You've heard of Robinson's Arch? Okay, we're we're this is okay. All right. So, this is a, another rendering to just to show you how how this would all fit in here. Now, let me explain the shaft. Just for a second. So, they would. There's a tunnel from the inside there that leads you right to here. And then you go down a series of... And notice that tunnel is like this. It's 92 feet long, carved out of solid rock. And you get down to the bottom, and there's a shaft that goes down. They call this Warren Shaft because he excavated it like in the 1890s. Uh, but then you have the Gihon Spring right here. Why a spring and not a stream? Springs come out of the ground. Per day. Springs bubble up. That they that is at the source. If it was a stream, all you gotta do is put a dead cow right there. And you've killed the city. Okay? But it's a spring. It bubbles up. And they dug a shaft over to where if, when you get down in this, you can lower a bucket. And there's perpetual water right there. Okay? So I don't know how David did it, but David is a pretty astute general. And so he knew that the only way to take that city, Jebus. Now, Jebus, if you go back to um, if you go back to Genesis, I think, nine, if you go back to Genesis nine, it names the Kenites, the Hivites, the Parasites, the whatever, not parasites. Um, but the Jebusites are, are named in Genesis 9. 
They're one of the ten tribes, Canaanite tribes, that children of Israel is going to have to get rid of. Now, we need to read fast. That day the Lord made a covenant with Abram to your descendants. I give the land, the river Egypt all the way up to the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites. You do all that, and the Jebusites. Exodus 3.8, I've come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up to the land that is good and spacious, to a land flowing with milk and honey. All I'm trying to get you to see is, look how many times all these tribes are mentioned. All the way, the, the parasites and all that. Uh, Exodus 13, when the Lord brings you land, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and so on. Okay, I think you get the message. Why did I keep doing this? For the, because it's in there about 20 more times. They're mentioned 20 more times. Uh, go and destroy them completely. For my angel will go before you and bring you to the Amorites, the Hivites, and will destroy them completely. <coughs> this was Israel's charge. I will send an angel before you. I'll drive them out. Uh, obey what I'm commanding you. I'm going to drive them out before the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite. I'm telling you, there's 20 more. I'm not going to do them all. Uh, when the Lord brings you in that land to occupy the forces and nations before you, seven nations more numerous and powerful than you. The men of Benjamin, however, did not conquer the Jebusites living in Jerusalem. The Jebusites lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this very day. That's Judges. So the Jebusites just gave up. The Danites, they gave up doing, uh, doing uh, Gaza, capturing Gaza. Remember, uh, Samson had Gaza wives. He had wives in there. So Danites just picked up their deal and moved on up north. So that's why we have Tel Dan way up north. Um, the men of Judah, look at, so the men of Benjamin were unable to conquer. And the men of Judah were unable to conquer. Okay, see, Joshua should be before Judges. If I were a real teacher, I would have fixed that. Okay, um, Because the uh, Judites gave up, and the Benjamites said, we'll do it. Those are Benjamites. Does anybody know who the temple guards are? They're Benjamites. <laughs> Big hulking scary monster Benjamites. Um, these were the nations the Lord permitted to remain so He could use them to test Israel. He wanted to test all those who had not experienced battle against the Canaanites. He left those nations simply because He wanted to teach the subsequent generations of Israelites who had not experienced their earlier battles how to conduct jihad. These were the nations, the five lords of the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites, living in Mount Lebanon, uh, from Mount Baal to Hermon, to Lebo to Hamath. They were left to test Israel so that the Lord would know if His people would obey His commands that He gave through His ancestors and through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, all that. They took the Canaanite daughters as wives and gave their daughters to the Canaanites. In other words, they intermarried which was strictly forbidden. They worshipped their gods as well. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and they forgot their Lord God and worshipped the Baals and the Asherah. So David has entered the city. He now controls Jebus. Nobody has ever been able to... So as the new king, he was not content to stay in Hebron. 
Hebron is a southern city. He wanted to go up north to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was still a part of Judah. Remember Judah and Benjamin fought over it. Still a part of Judah, but it was right on the border with the northern tribes. It was much more acceptable. And what a better way to convince the northern tribes, I'm your guy, than to run the Jebusites out who nobody else has been able to run out. That's awesome. That's awesome. Here's what you need to see from this. This is the first time that God has His man on the throne very near His seat. It's going to be Samuel 24 before we get to go take the Temple Mount. And that's what I'm convinced Samuel is all about. Um, King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David along with cedar trees and carpenters and masons and built David a house. David then perceived that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of the people of Israel. In Jerusalem he came from Hebron. David took more concubines and wives and more sons and daughters born to David. And these are the names that, uh, that are there. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up in search of David, but David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now then, drop down here. Thirty-three of the leaders went down with David to a rocky cliff, the cave of Adullam, while the Philistine force was camped in the valley of Rephidim. That's where the Philistines, you know, as Jeff has told us many times, the Philistines did not drive their chariots into the hills. So you want to meet the Philistines? you got to come down. So David went, and he stayed in this cave of Abdullam the whole time he was hiding out with the Philistines. So they knew him. Think about what was that king's name that Philistine had befriended David? Ahash or A. Think about how he must feel now that you know he thought that David was raiding Israel every night and he thought they would be hated. And now they've anointed everybody You've got a total nation, not a divided nation, but a total of them that have gone behind David. So this, the Philistines said, we got to go up and whack this guy before he gets any more powerful. Once again, the Philistines came up and they were spread out in the valley of Rephraim. And David inquired of the Lord, um, you shall not go up, or, I'm sorry, David inquired of the Lord, he said, you shall not go up around to their rear and come up opposite of them of the balsam trees. In other words, don't face them head on. Come around behind them. When you hear the sound of the march at the top of the balsam trees, then be on alert, for the Lord has gone out to strike down the army of the Philistines. David did just as the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines from Geba all the way to Gezer. He ran them back into the ocean. Um, this is also the place... In this is only in Chronicles, and we're not teaching Chronicles, but this is also when in that cave of Abdullah where David's sitting around the campfire one night and he goes, man, I wish I had some water from that spring in Bethlehem. That was, I keep spitting, I don't know what they else did. Um, I just love that water. And boy, I just love that water. I'd give anything. And so three of his mighty men said, you want water? We'll get you. But it's, the Philistines control Bethlehem. You can't go over. And they went. And you still do. What? You're still Palestinians. Oh, yeah. Bethlehem. Oh, yeah. 
but not the same, not the Philistines. (laughs) But David got that water. They went and got the water. No telling how many men they killed on the way to get the water. When he came back, David poured it on the ground. That's fascinating. Once again, not part of our purview. David gathered, you know, this is out of whack again, isn't it? Because that was the second battle a few minutes ago that we did. Um, anyway, David gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and he went down from Baal Judah to bring up the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of God on a new car and got it out of Abinadab's garage, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, get that. One of his sons dies after he's been kind enough to let them use their garage for all these years. We're driving the new cart of God, and Ohio, whatever, how do you say that, went in front of the ark. David and all of his house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals, and all the church of Christ people were in the back, and they weren't doing any of that. (laughs) And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, does anybody know what a threshing floor is? What is typically where is it? It's typically on the top of a mountain, highest point, because you take all that wheat and you have it up there, and you take these forks and you throw it up, and the grain will fall, and the chaff will blow away. You want the windiest highest spot. So Nacon, you got a threshing floor, reached out his hand of God to hold it, and the ox shook, and the anger, anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him there because he reached out his hand to the ark, and he died there because of the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had burst forth with an outburst upon him. So they call that place Perazuzzah to this day. Not sure that's correct, but they did at that time. This is an ark. Um, notice the rings of the ark where the poles can go through. Those poles are supposed to be 40 feet long. 40 feet long. That's how you carry an ark. The priests carry the poles. No layman can put... I how did it get on the cart? Did they take a fork flipped or put it... How did it get on the... Why didn't they kill the guys that put it on the cart? God had just had enough. Maybe it was on the same card that the Philistines sent back in 40 years ago. That may, that may be true. Notice, this is the cherubim. And as God says, that's where I live. Why did the Jews go to the Wayland Wall today? It's all about one word. Proximity. The closer we can get to where the holiness of God once resided, the more likely He is to answer our prayers. We as Christians follow Elijah. Remember when Elijah went into that cave and he heard that still small voice, that whisper? And in essence, God was saying, Elijah, you don't have to come all the way down here in Saudi Arabia to see me. I'm we believe it. <clears throat> um, I'm not going to read all this. This is about David leaping and 
wearing his linen ephod and Michael getting PO'd. And so why did Michael get <coughs> mad about how David was acting? Maybe as he leapt up, his gown would come up and they could see his bottom or something. Yeah, <laughs> she said all the girls were looking at I was taught that in Sunday school. I'm sorry. I, I, I know, I know. I, you need to apologize for that. <laughs> he didn't look like a king. It was status. He didn't look like a king. He looked like a commoner, and that offended Michael. So. I thought that all my life until you really stop and think about it. There's a bit of big deal made. Remember when Jonathan and David swapped clothes? That was a big deal. That was a big deal. Jonathan gave David his kingly robes. David abandoned those to celebrate with God and um, that's the end of that story. <clears throat> You know, this morning I was we're in Psalm eight this morning, uh, where Josh read it in. I can't remember what it, what it was, but this God David, we have only begun to touch the hem of the garment as to how complex this guy is. Um, he wrote this. Why are the nations in uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth will take their stands. The rulers and council will together against the Lord and His anointed, saying, Let us tear the fetters apart and cast away the cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then He will speak to them in His anger and terrify them in His fury. But as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, on my holy mountain, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance into the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord in reverence and rejoice in trembling. Do homage to the son, that he may not become angry and you perish in his way. For the wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in Him. David sitting on a hillside in Bethlehem dreamed that up about himself and the coming Messiah. David is the micro. Jesus is the macro. The record of the genealogy, this is how Matthew 1 starts. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. All the crowds were amazed and saying, this cannot be the son of David, can he? A Canaanite woman, a Canaanite woman in that region came and began to cry out on me. Have mercy, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. The crowds going ahead of him, those followed were shouting, Hosanna, to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. And he kept crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus began to say, He taught them in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that Christ is the Son of David? Has not Scripture said that Christ comes from the descendant of David 
and from Bethlehem, the village where David was, concerning the son who was descendant of David, born according to the flesh. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome as to open the book and its seven seals. I've sent my angel to give you testimony for the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning stars. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring. This is Samuel. To succeed you, your own flesh and blood, I will establish his kingdom. The one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. Whenever he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Wow. I could have done 20 more. As we, as we enter this Lenten season, uh, I know Perry living down there in uh, New Orleans is all with those Mardi Gras people. They really get into this in a big way. But as we, as we do, I pray that each one of you will have their own, your own personal journey into, you know, Saul, this story, Samuel, this story is just... trite compared to the story of Jesus. I pray that you live that story and when it comes Passover night and you walk out and there's a full moon that you remember that's the exact night that He gave up His life in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Roman soldiers came. They didn't need their flipping torches. But they did it anyway and He met them and He was in control the whole time. They didn't kill Him. He laid down His life. Adiós.